And let me invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Title of our message today is How Confident Are You? And I don't know about you, but that title makes me a little nervous. Because when pressed, I am not as quite, I'm not quite as confident as I may seem on the outside. People think, because I stand up here and preach every week, that I must be really confident and calm and composed. And I've come a long way, thanks to Jesus. But I have always struggled with doubt and uncertainty and worry. Anybody else a worrier out there? Just me? My default sin nature is to trend towards anxiety. When I was a kid, I I struggled with OCD, which stands for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Uh, So still to this day, sometimes when I leave the house, my brain introduces that uncertainty. Did you lock the door? Did you turn off the stove? Are you sure? Are you sure that you're sure? You should probably turn around and check. Are you sure? And at the heart of this kind of thinking is doubt. And the biggest way that doubt plagues most Christians is concerning our salvation. I have a feeling that many of you in this room have gone through a season where you could not find what we call the assurance of your salvation. In other words, you you doubted your faith. This is especially true, I found, if you were saved at an early age. That was the case for me. I was saved at seven years old, and I do believe I understood to the best of my ability the gospel and trusted in Christ. But it took me many years to stop doubting my faith. I was the guy who every time the preacher said, bow your head and repeat this prayer after me, I went ahead and repeated the prayer just in case. <laughs> I mean, eternity's a long time. Like, you can't be too sure with these things. So I prayed the sinner's prayer tons of times growing up, and I would always walk away feeling better for a little bit, only to later be lying in bed and have that intrusive thought come roaring back, are you sure? Just like turning off the oven. Are you sure? Did you really mean it when you were seven years old? Did you say the right words? Do you even remember what you said? And well-meaning preachers and evangelists only made things worse for me. They would say things like, do you know that you know that you know that you know that if you died tonight, you'd be in heaven? And it was always in a car wreck. Did you notice that? It's always a car wreck. If you died on the way home tonight, do you know? Well, I thought I knew that I knew, but when you had one more, do you know? I don't know that I know that I know. And these pastors, they meant well. Again, they meant well. They wanted to make sure people were really saved. They wanted to convict people's hearts. But it only made things worse for me. Thankfully, by God's grace, eventually, I found the key to having assurance of your salvation. I discovered that there's a way to have confidence in your faith, even if you're an anxious person like me. And today, I want to share that with you as we consider uh, continue our series through the book of Romans. As I said, this message is titled, How Confident Are You? And we chose that title not to scare you or to cause you to doubt, but to actually do the opposite. You see, in writing the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wanted believers to find their confidence in the gospel. He wants us to see the ins and outs of our salvation and how this works so we can be more certain in what Christ has done. Because confidence and certainty, it's important. It's what leads people to live radical lives for Jesus. Confidence in salvation is what puts missionaries on airplanes. It's what causes people to radically share their faith, to give away their time and their resources. Confidence is important if you want to live out God's purpose for your life. And today in Romans chapter 4, we're going to see a great example of confident faith and where that confidence comes from. The example is the Old Testament man named 
Abraham. You remember last week, Paul put Abraham and David forward as testimonies of saving faith in God. And we, we said, we saw that it's, it's faith and faith alone that brings salvation. And last week, Paul really honed in on this verse from Genesis 15, 6. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was made right with God, not because of his obedience or because he was a good man. It was because he chose to believe to put his faith in the Lord. And today, in this passage, Paul continues this discussion of Abraham's faith. So look with me now at Romans chapter 4, and let's start by reading verses 13 through 15. And we're just going to take this piece by piece. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul brings up this important idea, something we've talked about a lot, the law. Remember, the law was very important to the Jewish people. This was the list of commands and rules given to Moses and to the Israelite people. And many of them came to believe that if they just kept the commands well enough, that they would have a relationship with God. They'd have eternal life. But as we've seen, that that wasn't possible. No matter how hard we try, we we can't follow all the rules. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 says. Because of this, Paul tells us the law actually has the opposite effect. It didn't save people. It just made them worse. Because they weren't sinning anymore, but when the law came, their sin became a transgression. That's an important word. Paul intentionally used that word, which is a different word from sin. And and I've heard the difference between those two words, sin and transgression, explained like this. Let's imagine that you get caught speeding. I know none of you ever do that, right? And you get pulled over by a police officer, and you say, Officer... I didn't know. I didn't know I was going over the speed limit. I had no idea. That's, that's what I always say, right? You may still get a ticket. I was kidding, by the way. Uh, you may still get a ticket, but you still broke the law, right? You, whether you knew or not, you broke the law. But if you see the speed limit sign and you say, eh, that's just a suggestion, right? Right, Thomas? That's just, those are just suggestions, right? No, okay, uh, and, and you see the speed limit sign. He's legally not allowed to say that. So, and you see the sign, and you decide to ignore it and speed anyways. That's what we call transgression. It's knowingly breaking the law, and that's what happened when the law was introduced. People didn't say, oh, thou shalt not steal. Guess I better stop stealing. No, they said, oh, thou shalt not steal. I'm going to steal anyways. <laughs> the law actually made people worse in a way because they knew God's demands, and yet they did the opposite. And this is why he says the law brings wrath. But we can't be saved by keeping the rules or following the Old Testament code. If we could, faith would be null, as he said. If we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need faith. But we do need faith because the law brings wrath. Let's keep going, verses 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
There's a lot here to unpack, so let's, let's kind of break this down. First, Paul tells us that salvation comes through faith because this fits with the idea of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. You remember, remember last week, Paul talked about work and wages. When you work for something, this is the opposite of grace. When you work for something, you are owed a wage. But that's not how salvation works because salvation, the Bible says, is a gift. Therefore, it's, it's freely given. It's not earned or owed to anyone. So what's the perfect response to God's grace, to this free gift he's given us? It's to receive it. That's faith, to simply receive the gift. So do you see that connection between grace and faith? This is why Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. The other implication of this is that since faith is the only requirement for salvation, it means anyone can be saved. That, that's what he means by Abraham is the father of us all. Even though Abraham was Jewish, it wasn't his Jewishness that saved him. It was God's grace through faith. And anyone who has the same faith becomes a part of Abraham's family. And that's exactly what God promised Abraham. Do you remember when God took Abraham and, and showed him the sky? And he said, Abraham, look at all those stars. He said, that's how many descendants. That's how big your family's going to be. Abraham didn't even have a son at this point. He couldn't have children. But he chose to believe the promise, and that promise was fulfilled in ways beyond what Abraham could even imagine. Because God wasn't just talking about his literal bloodline. He was talking about Abraham's spiritual bloodline. God was talking about all believers, Jews, Gentiles, anyone who would trust in Christ and become the people of God. He was talking about people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. But how would this be possible? That God could bring an entire diverse nation of believers from one guy with no kids? Well, Paul tells us he's a God who can do anything. He said he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's the God Abraham was dealing with, and that's the God he chose to trust in. And that's what we see in these next verses. Look at verses 18 through 22. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Paul said that, not me. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I love these verses about Abraham's faith. I think they give us a great definition of what faith is. So let me share with you real quick five things we learn about faith. First, we learn that faith is hoping against hope. What does that mean? Hope against hope. That means to have hope and choose to believe that something is possible when everything else tells you it's impossible. And that was the case with Abraham. When God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, all these different people, like I said, he had zero children. And here's the kicker. He was 99 years old. His wife Sarah was 89 years old. I don't think... I need to pull out a biology textbook this morning 
to explain to you that that is scientifically improbable. But Abraham did not weaken in his faith when he looked at his body. He chose to believe despite how hopeless his situation looked. He hoped against hope. That's first. Second thing we learn about faith is that it's unwavering. I love that word, unwavering. Now, it doesn't mean that Abraham never had doubts or struggled with his faith. We, we established last week he did. He was a flawed man. He, he, he doubted God's promise at times. But over the long haul, his faith remained. Do you want to know how you can tell when someone is truly a Christian or not? It's simple. You can tell someone is truly a Christian when they stay a Christian. They may stumble. They may doubt. They may fall. We all do. But a true believer keeps the faith until the day they die. Faith is unwavering. Third, we see that faith grows. Faith is not some kind of fixed static thing that you have, but it's it's growing and expanding. And as we live the Christian life, our faith can get stronger. We can actually grow our faith to where we have more of it and we have this greater trust in God as faith grows. Fourth, we see that faith brings glory to God. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God When we choose to trust in God despite our circumstances, it makes God look great. It glorifies him. Our faith becomes a testimony to how great our God is. And fifth, we see that faith is being fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. Contrary to what people believe, faith is not a blind leap into the dark. Faith is a confident step onto the light of God's word. Let me say that again. Faith is not a blind leap into the dark. Faith is a confident step onto the light of God's word. It's taking God's word and saying, I believe he will do it, despite what it may seem. God said he will save me, and I am fully convinced I know he will do it. That's faith. You guys remember a few months ago when I brought a chair on stage and I did a chair illustration? That was, that was really good, wasn't it? Okay, uh, no, I, I'm kidding. But, you know, I said that faith is, is like sitting in a chair. Like it's one thing to, to stand back and say, yeah, that looks like a nice chair. I think that will hold me. But we said, no, faith is when you actually sit and you put the full weight of your body on the chair. That's faith. And that's the confident faith that Abraham had. And it was through his faith that God counted him righteous. God forgave his sins in that moment and made him perfect before him. Now, in these last verses, Paul is going to turn from Abraham to us. Look, these last few verses, 23 to 25. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I love what this verse says. Paul says, hey, 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 listen, this verse from Genesis, it wasn't just written for Abraham, those people in the Old Testament. It was written down so that you could read it too. See, that's the reason we have the Bible, so that we can read these things and understand them and believe them. And this means that Abraham's situation was not completely unique. While we probably will not have a child at 100 years old, Lord, help us, we too have the opportunity to put our faith in God. And when we do, just like Abraham, that's when we're counted righteous. 
God will take away all our sin and the judgment we deserve, and he will give us the perfect life and record of Jesus. And that all happens because, as it said, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Salvation is possible because of two things, the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he was delivered up for our trespasses. He died for our sins, not just the things we did bad we didn't know were bad, but also the things we knew were wrong and did them anyways. He took all that on the cross in our place. A perfect man, God in human flesh, dying for sinners like me. And then at the grave on the third day, he was raised for our justification. He didn't just stay dead. No, he rose to conquer death, sin, and hell once and for all to prove he was the Son of God and that his sacrifice was enough. So his resurrection guarantees that we're justified. It guarantees that we are not guilty, that God is not against us, that he is not judging us. But he's accepted us even now as his sons and daughters. So in these verses, Paul unpacks for us the nature of faith. He's shown us an example in the life of Abraham, and he's given us the key to having the assurance of our salvation. So let me close this morning by giving you three takeaways that will help us have confident faith. Here's the first. Number one, confidence comes from faith, not works. That was Paul's point in those first few verses. He wanted us to see that if we try and find our salvation in the law or in the good things we do, we will not make it. There is no need for faith if you can earn your salvation. But over the years, I've learned that many people doubt their salvation because they are looking to a work, often even a spiritual work. That was me. And the work I was looking to was praying the prayer. I doubted my salvation because I was putting my faith in a prayer to save me instead of in God to save me. And so I wondered, did I say it right? Did I really mean it? Well, this person cried when they prayed the prayer. I didn't cry. <laughs> the prayer became a good work that I looked to for confidence, but it only brought me more doubt. Now, look, you know I'm not against sinner's prayer. You know, I use a form of it here in service, and typically when I lead someone to faith in Christ, I do have them say a prayer. I do that because prayer is a way we express our hearts to God. But I've told you before, I go to great lengths to let people know that it's not a magic prayer. I always tell people, this prayer does not save you. This prayer does not make you a Christian. We are not witches saying spells. <laughs> the prayer is simply the way we express our heart of faith to God. So praying a prayer is salvation. That's a good spiritual thing, but it becomes bad when we use it to find assurance of our salvation. The same thing is true of other good spiritual things like walking the aisle during the invitation talking to the pastor, getting baptized. I know some people who've been baptized in just about every denomination. For some people, they base their salvation on growing up in church or memorizing Bible verses or going on mission trips or serving or teaching or singing. For some people, it's the things they don't do. Well, they stayed sexually pure before marriage or they don't drink or they don't cuss or they have good kids. Again, these are good things. But when they become the object of our faith, we will never find assurance because we're focusing on ourselves and what we can do instead of on Jesus and what he's done. We will never be able to do enough. And when we mess up, well, we think we got to get saved all over again. True confidence, assurance that you're saved comes from faith. So it's as simple as this. How do I know if I'm really saved? 
Well, let me ask you, do you trust in Jesus? I'm not asking if you prayed the most perfect prayer, cried at the altar, cried at youth camp, or got baptized in the Jordan River. I'm asking, are you right now trusting in Jesus to save you? Do you confess him as your Savior and Lord? The Bible says if you do, you are saved. It's interesting, in my limited experience, the people who come to me all torn up and worried if they're saved or not are the people that I'm usually not very worried about. Because here's the thing. Lost people don't struggle with the assurance of their salvation. They don't care about salvation. They're lost. They're blind. They're not worried about that. So to me, it's the people who are overly confident that concern me. The very fact that you are wrestling with wanting to make sure you're a Christian can be, not always, but it can be an indication that you're really a Christian. <laughs> Confidence comes from faith, not works. That's first. Here's second. Confidence comes from faith, not circumstances. All of us will face particular challenges in life that may cause us to doubt, to wrestle with our faith. We saw Abraham did. He knew the promise of God. He heard it straight from him. But then he looked at his age. He looked at his wife's age. And there were times he just didn't know how it would be possible but Paul told us Abraham chose to look beyond his circumstances and put his faith in God despite what he saw around him. And this is the key. If we look to our circumstances for confidence, we will never find assurance. Because there are going to be days and even seasons where we don't feel saved. You know what I'm talking about? Do you ever have days where you don't feel very Christian? <laughs> You don't feel like obeying God. You don't feel like loving and trusting and reading your Bible and prayer. Man, praise the Lord, feelings don't determine our salvation. Because if it did, we would gain and lose our salvation on a daily basis. Our feelings, they're all over the place. They're up and down. And there are other situations that may arise that cause us to look to circumstances instead of faith. First off, some of us may struggle with assurance when we go through bad situations. Whether that be a health issue or losing someone we love or financial difficulty or losing our job. And we think, man, this wouldn't be happening to me if I, if I were a Christian. I must be lost. That happened to me several years ago. I, I hit my lowest point with depression and anxiety. Let me tell you, I felt so awful that I thought there is no way a Christian can feel like this. But the Bible never says we should judge our standing with God based on how easy or how difficult our life is. If anything, difficulty in life can actually be proof that you are saved because God told his disciples you will face trouble. God's chief goal for your life is not to make you happy and comfortable. It's to make you more like Jesus. And if you have difficult circumstances, that's his favorite tool to get you there. Second, some people struggle with assurance when they sin. Have you ever experienced that? You messed up again. That pesky sin that just keeps hanging around. You think, man, a true Christian would never mess up as bad as I did. No one else in my church struggles with this. They're all perfect. I must be lost. But again, if sinning meant we're not saved, then none of us would have assurance. All of us struggle with sin. All of us face defeat. The, the very fact that you're feeling convicted of your sin can actually be an indication that you're one of God's children. Lost people are not convicted over their sin. Saved people are because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And third, some people struggle with assurance when they look to a past circumstance. For example, I, uh, I used to freak out because I couldn't remember the date I was saved on. 
I heard a pastor say one time, you need to write down the day you were saved in the front of your Bible, and whenever you doubt your salvation, you look at that date. Well, I didn't have a date in my Bible, so that made me nervous. I've met other people who can't remember the exact moment when they were saved. They're, they're not sure, was it when I was five at VBS or summer camp at 12 or when I rededicated in college ministry at 20? And because they can't remember when they started their faith, they don't know if it's real. But your salvation is not based on how well you can recall the moment you were saved. The important thing is, are you trusting in Jesus right now? I've heard faith described as a posture. Again, it's like sitting in a chair. You may not remember the exact moment you sat down, but as long as you're sitting down, you're saved. Yes, there is a single moment when faith begins, when you're converted and you're saved, but that moment is not always clear. For some people, it looks like more of a process in their lives. So don't look to your circumstances for confidence. That's number two, and here's the third and last takeaway, and we're done. Number three, confidence comes from faith and Jesus. This is the obvious one. This is the big one. This is the important one. Because we don't just have faith for faith's sake. We can have faith in all kinds of things. What makes the Christian faith important is the object of our faith. And the object of our faith, it's Jesus. We're choosing to believe in him, that he died on the cross from our sins and that he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Jesus is the chair we sit on. He's the good news we believe. He's the promise we trust. So part of having faith is rejecting every other way of salvation and turning only to Jesus. It's admitting, I can't save myself. A prayer won't do it. Baptism won't do it. Being good won't do it. Going to church won't do it. I need Jesus to save me. He's all I've got. So I surrender to him. So often we doubt our salvation because we take our eyes off Jesus and put them on ourselves. Friends, that's a recipe for disaster. If you endlessly examine yourself and your past and your present and how many times you had your quiet time and what you said this week and what you thought that day, you will always find flaws that make you doubt. But if you look to Jesus, you can have confidence. Jesus hasn't changed. The cross is still stained with his blood. The tomb is still empty and the throne is still occupied. When we trust in Jesus, we have no reason to doubt until Jesus fails. And guess what? He ain't ever going to fail. So let me close by speaking to three groups of people here this morning. First, there are some of you followers of Jesus who have never struggled with doubt. If that's you, praise God. That's great. And I encourage you, praise God, because he's the one who sustains us. I challenge you, don't be prideful in that because you've never struggled with it. But continue to look to Jesus because the day may come for you. Second, second group of people, there's some of you here like me. Maybe you've struggled with assurance for most of your life. Maybe you're never really sure about anything. And today you see the reason that those doubts have plagued you. If that's you, listen to me very carefully. Stop praying the prayer. Stop analyzing everything. Stop overthinking and rest in Jesus. Do you trust in him? Do you trust him? There's nothing more to do. Look to Jesus and get on with your life. The third group, there are some of you who call yourself a Christian, but maybe you've placed your faith in something else besides Jesus. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you've never really trusted in him. Instead, you've trusted in 
a prayer you prayed when you were a kid or getting baptized or coming from a Christian family or having your name on the membership roll. If that's you, you may need to doubt your faith because it's been misplaced. There is a time for wrestling with that when you haven't actually trusted in Christ. And if that's you here today, here's the good news. You can trust in Jesus today and be saved. There's nothing more to do. There's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved but the name of Jesus. So turn away from everything else. Look to him and believe. And if you do, he will save you. So how confident are you? Well, there's only one reason to be confident. It's not how good you are or what you do in the church or how little you sin or how much you sin. There's only one reason to be confident, and that's Jesus. That's it. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer.